listener production. Okay, let's start by just taking a deep breath. Welcome to Come Out Wherever You Are. This is a safe space for curious people to learn more about the coming out experience. So congratulations, you're now a part of our community. And because this is a podcast about the coming out experience, it's only fair that I go first. My name is Sean Zepps, and I am gay. I first came out in early 2000 when I was 12 years old, and I last came out, I guess it would have been like 17 minutes ago, in the Uber. I was talking about my children. He justifiably just jumped in and said wife, and I had to correct him and say that I was gay. So, today we are welcoming a very new member to the Come Out Wherever You Are family, Kira. Kira, can you please introduce yourself and tell us when was the first time you came out and when was the last time you came out? Hi, I'm Kira and I'm queer. I'm in my 20s and I've been out since I was 14. The first time I came out was to a school assembly at a private Anglican school, and the last time I came out was during an online film course that I'm doing probably seven weeks ago. Kira Hampson has been on my radar since she won the 2019 ABC Haywire competition. In case you don't know what that is, Haywire is an annual storytelling competition for young people aged 16 to 22 living in regional or rural Australia. And Kira actually won it in 2019 with a story called I stood up in front of an audience to stand up for what I believe in. In the story, she describes standing up in front of her entire school assembly in the regional city of Dubbo and telling them that she was pansexual. Oh, and did I mention she was 14 when she did it? She is a weapon. She's in her 20s now, and she's been out for a decade, which is crazy. She's still living in Dubbo to this day, and she's a really big deal on TikTok. I'm talking 2.3 million likes, big deal. All right, let's jump right in. When did you first realize, hey, wait a second, Kira, you might not be straight? <laughs> I think the the eureka moment that I remember kind of recognizing at the time was when I was 13 and I had a Halloween like pool party because obviously in Australia, Halloween is in the middle of spring, <laughs> so it's very hot. Yep. Um, and it was an all-girls pool party, and I got dared to kiss one of my other friends, and I just remember a light bulb kind of going off in my brain going, oh, that was something. Yeah, this <laughs> is different than I had expected. Yeah, looking back now, um, the poster I had of Delta Goodrum that was above my bed when I was six years old for a year probably was also an indication, but I didn't know that at the time. It wasn't I just, just really, her talent. It yeah, was, I thought I just really liked how good she was at playing the piano. <laughs> <laughs> so when you think back to that kind of regional upbringing, were you surrounded by any information about what it would have meant to be queer, gay, or anything in the in the LGBTQI plus community? I think I got all of my information online um, and from maybe TV and movies. But before I came out, I didn't have anybody that I knew personally who was queer or gay or anything other than straight, really. Okay, so that online world... Um, you know, you and I are similar in age, only a decade apart, and 
And yet that one decade would have made a huge difference when it comes to access to information. Mm. Um, when I was 13 and 14, I didn't have a computer or a phone or anything, but I'm imagining you had this beautiful world in which you could explore and learn things. What was kind of the platform of choice that allowed you to find yourself? Well, it started with Twitter uh, because I was on there because I was into bands and being a little fangirl. So Twitter was the platform. And then Tumblr, Mm. uh, all of a sudden I found out about that magical website and that is probably where I learnt all of the information about queer people that I have in my brain now. (laughs) So is it a chicken or an egg game? Did you start to go in that instance, you kiss a girl at a party and you go, wait a second, this is strange, I'm going to do research or... Are you online running into coming across entertainment content where people are queer or lesbian and going, wait a second, maybe I'm that? I think it was a mixture of both. I think Tumblr came first where at that point I had kissed a girl before and had made note of it in the back of my mind about (laughs) that was uh, something we'll come back to (laughs) later on. But coming across things on Tumblr uh, about you know, so many uh, fan fiction pieces about band members being shipped together uh, was sort of my first introduction to gay people, I guess. And then through being online and on Tumblr where it was all built around like fandoms of shows and movies and stuff, I started learning about different sexualities because 14-year-olds on the internet were deciding that, you know, Captain America is bisexual. As he is, I hope. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Now, your upbringing, uh, your family, your community, how did you imagine at that time any one of those groups of people would have responded to you? Did you feel safe? Do you come from a religious background? Tell me a little bit about your environment. Um, I grew up with my mom and my dad. My dad is Indigenous. He's uh, Woiwurrung, which is an Aboriginal group from down in Victoria. Um, and growing up, I never had any negative thoughts put into my head about being gay, very luckily. My parents, you know, it was never something that was brought up in conversation, I guess, mm. um, apart from I knew that my mum was in love with Freddie Mercury and I can't remember exactly <laughs> yes. when I figured out that he was gay, but in the back of my brain I knew, well, my mum likes Freddie Mercury, so mm. surely she'll like other gay people too. Yeah. But, yeah, I didn't have anybody in my personal life who was uh, anything other than straight or at least that I knew at the time. So I guess my brain kind of never saw it as, like, a the huge first hurdle. option. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or a hurdle at all. Um, I still got nervous coming out to them because I had consumed all of this other media that told you that you need to be scared of your parents when you yeah. come out. Um, For good reason, I think there's always going to be that seed of doubt in the back of your brain of what if this doesn't go well. But I was very lucky because I was never brought up religious at all. Um, I was the type of kid that was making, like, witches' potions in my backyard and my mum was encouraging it. (laughs) So uh, very lucky in that regard, but always lived in regional areas. So it was never my family that I knew was going to be the issue. It was going to be other people. (laughs) Sure, I, I hear that. So you kiss a girl, you go in the back, I'm going to put this in the back of my head. Mm-hmm. From that moment until coming out, how did you decide what label you were going to attach to yourself? I actually was on Tumblr and found like a, a master post of all different sexualities and labels that were hyperlinked to Wikipedia. <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, yes. Some teenager had put in the work 
And you're going, here is your entire, you know, Google Doc, essentially, Mm. of you trying to figure out your sexuality. And I remember some school afternoon where I was on my laptop at home just clicking through them and I found the word bisexual and I knew that word beforehand because of celebrities. Yeah, Um, yeah. People like Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day. I knew that he had used that word to describe himself before. But something about it didn't ring entirely true to me. So I found the word pansexual and something about that just clicked in my brain. And that was probably six months after I'd figured out that I wasn't straight and six months before I decided to come out. Do you remember that feeling of, of seeing a word and going, wait a minute, something's different here. Like, t- talk to me about that experience of, a, of hearing or seeing something and then feeling felt. It's really strange. I remember this sort of moment of, I was, st- you know, just staring at my computer screen, but I was overwhelmed with emotion mm. at just looking at this Wikipedia article that had this word that just, it felt right. For the first time, I felt like that word fully describes exactly how I'm feeling, exactly who I am as a person, who I'm attracted to. And it was, like, so exciting. I remember being really happy that I'd found this sort of descriptor or word that fit me. Oh, that's beautiful. So you say from that moment, it took six months. What happened in between that six months that got you to a place where you felt comfortable telling people? I think I started coming out to my online friends. Mm. I had a lot of like Twitter friends that we all liked the same bands and we all lived in different parts of the world. So we would like chat on Twitter or Tumblr or MSN um, and talk about like the latest fan fiction we'd read. And I really trusted a lot of those people quite a bit as a teenager. Luckily, um, they were all real teenagers as well. (laughs) There you go. Put that in there. (laughs) Also because I think a lot of those people I made friends with were also questioning their sexuality. So Mm. I knew that if I came out to them, their response was probably going to be more excited than confused because they themselves were also going through that. And is that how people reacted? Yeah. For the most part, I think every single friend I had online at some point questioned whether they were bisexual. Wow. (laughs) I'm not sure whether it was because we'd all discovered all of these terms at the same time, but it was a very queer sort of friendship group I had with people online. So that was my first sort of step in coming out. And then I think I started testing the waters with my in-real-life friends, you know, saying stuff about oh, I think that girl's pretty, just to gauge their reaction to see if they would even catch that I said something. Smart strategy. (laughs) And eventually I got to the point where I'm not even sure what prompted it, but I got to a point months later where it felt like I was being disingenuous not telling everyone. Yeah. You knew who you were by that point. That that yeah, word was you. Exactly. And also I, at that point, was enrolled in an Anglican private school and was already kind of <laughs> being reprimanded by the teachers for not fitting in very well. Wow, okay. In terms of, like, I wanted to wear black nail polish and you weren't allowed to wear nail polish to school. I would ask them if I was allowed to dye my hair, which they told me I was never allowed to do. Ooh. So I think there was 
a simultaneous build-up of me being sick of not being authentic to who I was mm. and also me just desperately wanting to rebel against this school. Sure. <laughs> so that accumulated in one day I was on Tumblr and I found a post about Wear It Purple. Yes. And I'd never heard of them before. At first I thought they were even like an American Mm. sort of organisation because most of the content that I had on Tumblr was very American. So I remember finding like a poster that they had made up explaining what Wear It Purple Day was and something in my brain clicked. I was like, this is how I come out. Wow. At that point, still didn't really have a plan. The next day I went into school and during like homeroom at the beginning of the day, I told my class of year eight students, you know, there was probably 16 of us in total. It was a fairly small school. I got up in front of them and said, hey, there's this day that happens at the end of the week called Wear It Purple Day. Um, It's for queer people. I am a queer person. And they were all kind of like, huh? Whoa. What does that mean? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I told my year eight class before, the like day before, and asked them if they would bring in purple things or like wear a purple hair tie or something like that. Like I had launched into full organisation mode where I was <laughs> basically telling people to wear something purple to school to show you support for this, you know, awareness day and... The next day we had a school assembly scheduled and I knew that. <laughs> I Of course, you're strategizing ahead. the whole thing. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, the next day my a couple of my closer friends from that school brought in like a purple bandana or they were wearing purple socks, which was all breaking school uniform rules. So I remember feeling uh, quite... pleasantly surprised that Mm. these people had been willing to break school uniform rules um, just for me. Yeah. And then one of my friends brought in a curtain because that was the only purple thing she had. So I looked at it and I was like, well, I'll wear it as a cape because I'm dramatic. Of course. (laughs) You should have. a smart decision. And then I got to the school assembly hall, which was in our chapel, and... I remember I walked up to my music teacher at the time who was in charge of running all of the assemblies and she was very hurriedly like trying to organise the school captain's seating and the principal's chair and the podium and everything like that. So I I think I purposely picked (laughs) a time where she didn't have any extra time to ask questions. Mm. (laughs) I walked up to her and I said, hey, can I talk about this uh, charity day at the end of the assembly? It's like just for five minutes or something. And she goes, yeah, sure, whatever. I'll call you up at the end. Wow. So then I don't remember a single thing that happened in that assembly because I was just sitting there like buzzing, knowing that I was about to get up. And I wasn't planning on coming out. I was planning on getting up and like talking about queer issues, which was a statement in itself. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we weren't even getting taught uh, sex ed about straight couples, let alone any sort of information that gay people existed. Um, so I got up there and I told a story about somebody that I knew through Twitter and Tumblr, um, a young man who had been very badly bullied in high school for being gay and was left very uh, heavily injured after a failed 
attempt to take his own life. Mm -hmm. So it was a very heavy story that I decided to tell everybody because I knew in the back of my brain that some of these kids probably did come from already homophobic households. So I I kind of knew that if I went in there with something tragic and shocking and sort of that grabs their attention, that it's probably going to stick in their brains a lot longer than if I just, you know, came in and talked very positively. And right after I had finished telling that story and said something about how important it is to support young queer people, otherwise awful things like that can happen to them, it just the words fell out of my mouth and I said, I am pansexual. And then I explained the definition of that by just, you know, gender isn't something I take into consideration when being attracted to someone. And that's the moment that all of the kids that weren't paying attention were suddenly staring at me. And I think every pair of eyes was on me in that moment. And I kind of went, thank you. Have a good day. I walked off the stage. Wow. This is so powerful. I need to make one thing clear for anyone who's been listening to this story and and just alive and buzzing. You were 14 years old. This is not a 28-year-old hearing you talk so strategically. You're thinking to yourself, this is a politician, the power moves, (laughs) the accidental decisions to get up there, the storytelling. And yet this is the mind of a quite young person. Yeah. So that's the first thing we need to do. Second, by this point, no one in your family knew? Oh, sorry. I should have no, <laughs> I no, no. carried away with the school. I did tell my mum and my dad, I think, three days beforehand because okay. I knew in the back of my head I didn't want them to have to find out through my, like, vice principal ringing them. Sure, exactly. And getting angry and, like, you know, trying to get me in trouble for something. So I told them, I think we stood in the kitchen or something, and I remember being really nervous but not really knowing why. I think it's just, you know, I had heard about other people coming out before and it is, you build it up in your mind as like one of the biggest things you're ever going to do. And I remember telling them and they were more confused about the word pansexual because they'd never, ever heard that word before in their lives, which understandable, I'd only found out about it six months prior. Yeah, yeah. But they were both very supportive. Uh, I did not tell them I was planning. <laughs> I'm sure the they would not thing, have though. let you go to school that day. No, they already knew that the um, staff at that school thought I was a bit of a problem child. So mm. if they knew I was planning on doing a stunt like that, <laughs> they probably would have tried to talk me out of it for my own yeah. sake. Well, do you think in retrospect that if your parents had responded negatively, that you might not have even gone through with the coming out in assembly? I'm wondering how the acceptance of the people you love most can empower you potentially to take the next step. Yeah, I do think that if they had responded negatively, I never would have gotten up on assembly, mainly because I'd always been bullied in high schools and stuff, but that had always resulted in uh, staff members at high schools uh, blaming me for my bullying. So I knew that my parents were my biggest backup Mm. when it came to if I got in trouble for defending myself at school or I knew in this instance if I went to school and I came out or talked about queer issues at all and they got a phone call, I knew that they were going to be on my side. 
Wow. That's extremely powerful, especially for any parents listening, like the power of that acceptance in that moment. Even if you're confused, even if you don't know what's happening, even if you don't agree, showing them that you love and and care can have beautiful impacts in the next stages of their lives. Yeah, definitely. Because if I hadn't felt the support from them or knew that had everything else gone wrong or all of my friends rejected me or something like that, at least I had, you know, two people who deeply cared about me and didn't see my sexuality as an issue. Mm. Had that not been the case, I think I probably would have only have ever come out to my online friends and I don't know when I would have found the sort of courage to come out by, you know, to everyone in my life in in the real world. <laughs> mm, yeah, that's amazing. Okay, so just so we can paint the picture of this timeline here, you start to come out online a little bit, you get some good response because it happens to be kind of a group of people who um, are queer in, uh, potentially. Uh, yes. Then you come out to your parents, there's a, a nice safe, they question things, but they're at least still loving. Mm-hmm. You find yourself at the assembly. You basically accidentally come out. You, you're yeah. <laughs> You're there to preach about this beautiful event. You come out. How do people respond at school? Um, I can still remember everything that happened on the day. So I I went and sat back down in my seat and then uh, there was probably about 10 seconds of silence where nobody knew what to do. Of course not. Um, Apparently behind me, because I was standing like at the podium where everybody speaks and sitting behind me is the principal, the vice principal, and then the school captains. Yeah. And the first thing that somebody told me when I went and sat down sat back down in my seat, is the principal's jaw opened and he didn't shut it the entire time I was speaking. Like, fully shocked. Yep. So I thought that was really funny. (laughs) (laughs) This is the worst case scenario for them, I'm imagining. I don't know a lot about these schools. Yeah, and part of me was like, yeah, deal with this now. Mm. Um, And then we all left the assembly hall. I actually remember my art teacher at the time, she was very supportive of me. Um, she, like, grabbed my hand. She was actually, like, close to tears. And then um, basically for the rest of the time I was at that school, the people who harassed me the most about it were Year 7 kids who all assumed that this meant that I wanted to hit on them, which, no, thank you, you're exactly. in Year 7. Yep. <laughs> to be pansexual you. means you want every human on planet Earth. That's what that it means, guys. That is truly <laughs> what the rest of the school decided that's what it meant. Mm. I think the oldest people that were kind of constantly giving me any sort of crap about it were boys in year 10, so 16-year-olds. Yeah. And their questions were always very ignorant and explicit sort of questions about how women flirt and interact with each other, and I just used to tell them to Google it. I was like, I don't know. Good answer. Now, at that time, did you... When you're getting negative reactions like bullying on a daily basis or a weekly basis or a monthly Mm. basis, does that make you question your truth? Yes. I do think that I struggled with imposter syndrome with my own sexuality Mm. where I'd only been out for less than a year, but I was questioning whether I was actually queer because I hadn't had a girlfriend at that point or I hadn't talked to any girls yet, you know, and that was usually the line of attack that these older boys would use to harass me about it is asking me about how many girls I've kissed and how many girls I've dated and stuff like that. 
Um, Can we unpack this a little bit? Because I think it's really valid that we hold space for um, people who don't agree with the lifestyle that that we all just mm -hmm. live. The natural question, I guess, that someone would ask themselves is, um, how can you label yourself if you've never experienced it, right? A lot of young people mm. come out as gay or lesbian uh, or they they know with every ounce of their body um, that they're bisexual or pansexual. And and what would you have said to them back then? Like, how can you know if you've never dated someone or, or had sex? I think my response back then used to be, well, then how do you know you're straight? Boom. Especially with these young teenage boys that were coming at it from a very sexual yeah. sort of lens, sure. a, a fetishizing sort of thing, which I didn't surprise me at all. I kind of knew that that was coming. I used to kind of get very uh, snarky with them and say stuff like, well, how many girls have you dated? Mm. How many boys have you dated? Mm. Like, I've probably kissed more girls than you have at this point, and you're 16, so that sucks. You're lame. <laughs> like, I, I did the exact to, same thing, girl. <laughs> yeah, I would kind of try and undermine their weird toxic masculinity that they had this sort of superiority complex mm. of, over me, which unfortunately pushes, pushed myself into a place of like f objectifying women as a way to make men leave me alone. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, we all have our own unique coping mechanisms to kind of get out of situations. And we also have our own approach to education, right? Especially yeah. when, uh, because you're so, I mean, I'm just so blown away at how brave you were at such a young age, we also can't ignore the fact that we might be analyzing these people's reactions through the lens of our adult experience. But mm -hmm. in many cases, these young people have never lived in a city. They've never met a gay person before. They don't even understand what it means. They've seen porn six times, and those porns are not good yeah. and not accurate <laughs> representations of, of how love might occur. Mm. And so we're not giving them the you know, benefit of the doubt or saying what they did was right. But we're also not naive to the fact that you and them are acting from a place in many, we're all just acting based off instinct and gut. Yeah. And I definitely think there were times in my life where I could recognize, okay, maybe this person has asked me a question that came off as rude, but it's a genuine question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think I got pretty good at gauging who was asking intrusive questions about my sexuality because they were doing it to get a rise out of me and who was doing it because they genuinely didn't understand. Mm. I think I got much better at that the older I got towards like, you know, the end of year 12 and stuff. But when I was like in year eight and year nine, after, very freshly after coming out, I used humour and sort of defensiveness as my coping mechanism, mm. you know, getting the one up on some 16-year-old boy who's, Ask me about, like, well, how do two girls hook up then? And I'll be like, as if you haven't seen it on the internet before, don't lie to me, you know, yeah, kind yeah, of. Yeah. I, I use humour a lot, but looking back now, I can totally understand that there were definitely people in my life who were really nasty to me who were doing it and they didn't know why. Mm. You know, I left that Anglican school after about, I'd left halfway through year nine. So I'd been there for a year and a half. I'd been out basically that entire time and eventually changed back to a public school, which by the time I got there, everybody knew <laughs> that I was the queer kid because I was. I was the only one, um, which looking back now is very interesting because I was a lot of people's introduction into 
the existence of queer people. Um, but I was just going to school. <laughs> There's two things I want to unpack. Um, but most importantly, did you just accidentally become an like an advocate? Like you're you're the only one that people have access to. I mm. know, you know, I came out uh, around the similar time as you, and I knew that I was the only one. And so all of a sudden, you get all these people coming to you most of them making fun of you, but some, as you've said, you're able to read into it where it's obvious that they're questioning their sexuality. They've never heard those terms. Did you become basically a a Google for- Yes, I really did. You know, people would come and ask me what things meant. You know, what does pansexual mean? Okay, why is that different to this? Which, you know, I was also not (laughs) well-researched enough to be giving out all those answers, but I did become- the person that younger, like year eight kids would come and confide in and be like, oh, I think I think I want to kiss a girl, but I'm not sure. Wow. I became this sort of like, I don't know, strange figure that half of the school laughed at all of the time and the other half of the school would like come to in secret mm. and ask me questions. <laughs> so you changed schools. The reason is what? I was getting into fights a lot and the school was essentially threatening to expel me and my mum pulled me out before they had the chance to expel me. She was like, oh, you can't expel her. She's already unenrolled. And in retrospect, do you think that that physical, verbal fighting spirit comes from this like internal battle with your sexuality and being different? I definitely do. I think I've always been bullied, whether it was for my weight, for wearing you know, dark clothing or whether it was for my sexuality, I always found uh, that I had to defend myself, especially in a school environment. Yeah. And I think that definitely part of that is me subconsciously knowing that I'm, I belong to a minority group of people that a lot of people have very strong negative opinions about. So I think in the back of my head, I was always quite confrontational and I wouldn't back down from a fight because there was that part of me that was fighting to be accepted as a queer person. And did that get fixed at a new school? Not necessarily. <laughs> Tell I me. Think, um, eventually I started becoming less confrontational and I was trying not to be because I had been in trouble at this previous school and I was I didn't want my parents to have to worry about having to drag me around to every different high school in town because I was being sure. <laughs> too aggressive. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, getting to this, getting back to the public school was interesting because I didn't have a chance to come out to anybody there because everybody already knew. Okay. I, a lot of teachers were very helpful and would defend me and that school really tried its hardest to protect me from the amount of homophobic bullying I was receiving. But I was having kids, you know, follow me after class, uh, when I was like walking home from school, just walking behind me yelling slurs. I had three guys in my English class um, gang up on me and basically start pulling the Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve card, which was so rich coming from these three boys that had never been to church in their lives. I was like, why are you pulling that one out? Um, And, yeah, like lots of threats against my physical safety were made. And I think the school was obviously terrified that I was going to be hurt, but also they knew why 
the uh, Anglican school didn't want me there anymore and it was because I was going to fight people if I needed to. Mm. So I think the public school was also a little worried that I was going to turn around and knock someone out. Sure. Did you ever kind of question like, okay, maybe I should just play a different game here. Like I should just pretend I'm straight or uh, drop out of school or... Yeah, it happened, I think after some incident that I can't remember that would have been like, yeah, four guys ganging up on me in like an art class. I got pulled into one of the vice principal's office and his daughter was one of the girls that used to bully me. Mm. So I was already like, okay, you have no idea the type of person your daughter actually is. Yeah. And he pulled me in there and basically was saying, you are such a problem in this school. Every classroom you walk into that ends up, you know, everybody gets distracted. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, because a kid threatens to throw a chair across the classroom at my head because I like women, not because I'm starting fights. Mm. And he essentially said to me, the only way that they're going to stop bullying you is if you go back in the closet. And what did you do? How did it how did it feel to hear those words? Because I imagine I had similar things happen, so I'm trying not to project my mm-hmm. feelings onto yours, but I imagine when you kind of hear the elephant in the room that's already in the back of your head anyways, that yeah. to hear it actually said, was there a part of you that was like, damn, it probably would be easier? Yeah, and I think that was really heartbreaking for me because it was kind of the first time that my pride had wavered. Up until that point, I was, you know, more empowered by the bigotry that I was receiving because I knew that, I, you know, I was different. And the only reason these people were trying to tear me down is because they didn't understand it. So up until that point, I think I had managed to protect myself with like a layer of knowing that this is who I am and this is, you know, it's okay to be who I am. Um, but when I was in that you know, office and got told, just go back in the closet. Part of me was like, would it have been easier if I never came out? Of course. And obviously I think it would have been, but I I also know that I probably would have gotten bullied for other stuff. Absolutely. And it also felt very demoralising because at that point I was getting, like, screamed at in classrooms by my peers and, you know, threats of violence and these people making awful, like, explicit jokes at my expense. Um, And none of my friends ever backed me up. Mm. We would go out to lunch and they'd go, oh, that was really messed up what he said, but but you weren't going to say anything while he was holding a chair. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So hearing that staff member say that to me, I think it was the first time that I really felt very isolated because I was the only you know, out queer person at that high school, I was being bullied by the most popular people in school who everybody really liked. So everybody's opinions were very easily swayed by them. If they didn't like me, nobody liked me. Yeah. And to now know that I didn't even have the support of adults who should know better and should recognise why this isn't, you know, a good thing that I'm being treated like this by other teenagers... I think it was a turning point for me to stop trying to not be a troublemaker. I think it probably did the opposite of what that vice principal wanted it to do and I became a nightmare of a student 
Because I, at that point I was like, okay, so the school doesn't respect me as a person. The people in the school don't respect me as a person. The only people who are going to back me up are my parents and myself. And so I decided to kind of turn myself into a martyr. Wow. So when did it get better for you? Like, and how? I actually think the beginning of it getting better was the last day of year 10. In high school, at that public school, I had made friends with a girl in a year below me and we ended up in a band together and her older brother was the main guy who bullied me. So our friendship was always very tension-filled because her parents hated me Mm. because he would go home and tell them about how I was this weird, queer who was, you know, trying to convince their daughter to be a bisexual or something, you know. And uh, at one point him and I had like a massive confrontation in a class, uh, in a math class where I punched one of his friends because he said something extremely inflammatory to me. And then I swung at him and ended up, my maths teacher ended up dragging me out of the classroom. But she ended up stopped being friends with me because of that. And that actually made him realise that he had screwed up. And on the last day of year 10, he came up to me. He was the most popular guy in school. He came up to me and he apologised to me in front of all of his friends. Wow. And he said, I'm really sorry for all of the awful things I've said to you. I'm sorry that I made my sister hate you. I'm sorry that I let other people do the same things to you that I was doing. I don't want to leave this school knowing that I didn't ever say sorry to you because he was going to drop out and go do, like, a trade. He wasn't coming to year 11 and 12 with uh, the rest of us. And I cried because I never thought that I would ever have anybody apologise. And I also knew that it was extremely impactful because all of his friends were looking at him like his head had fallen off. Yeah. Like, they could not believe that he was apologising to me after spending, you know, two years tormenting me every single day. And when I moved on to year 11, 12 at a different campus with some of these people who had been bullying me all through year nine, they completely left me alone. Wow. And it was all because this one guy must have, you know, realised sort of through destroying my friendship with his younger sister, it kind of made him realise that he had been in the wrong the whole time. The power of allyship, even though it's it's not a traditional form of allyship, oftentimes an apology, especially from a perpetrator or a bully, is as powerful as any form of allyship can possibly be because it makes everyone else challenge, wait a second, should we? I mean, we know that this is just a bunch of lemmings running and jumping off a cliff together, and if one person does it, you're going to follow too. Exactly. But that I think it's very rare for those people to be shown uh, someone like them changing. And so, you know, it seemed completely random that one day he woke up and realised kind of how much of a awful person he'd been to me. Mm. And, I, you know, he hugged me in front of all those people and they were all like, what are you doing? Why are you touching her? Like, why are you talking to her? Like, and it was, you know, the last class of the last day of year 10 and I think he genuinely realised that he was never, he was probably never going to see me ever again. Yeah. And that he didn't want the last time that we ever saw each other for it to be negative. So 
you know, I would never be friends with him because I obviously still have some trauma around the way I was treated in high school, but I do very much appreciate that he saw the error of his ways and did that because I think not only was I one of the only gay people that all of these people had met at that point, that was also the only person they'd ever watched change their opinion about me. So that was really powerful. And then once I got to year 11 and 12, everybody was way too concerned with their own futures Mm. and what they were going to do after high school that I didn't really experience any sort of homophobic bullying from that point on. And at what part during that journey did you start to actually experience the reality of being pansexual, which is the ability to date, the ability uh, to fall in love potentially? Like at what part in your journey up until today did you kind of get to experience and enjoy the benefits and not the constant torment of being a special person? I think I I, I kind of mixed it in between um, amongst all of it. I had my first girlfriend by the time I was mm, 14 and a half maybe. Okay. And, I mean, all of these girlfriends that I had were, like, you know, the classic high school. We dated for two weeks because we were friends with each other and we went, hey, should we be boyfriend and girlfriend or should we be girlfriend and girlfriend? Yeah, yeah. And then two weeks later you go, okay, nah. (laughs) I just want to be your friend instead. So I had a few of those sort of flings. but um, And I think that was the first time that my mum kind of realized, oh, this is real. That's why I was even asking is like, at what point do other people get to confirm she's not doing this for attention? Yeah. You know, we're not bullying her and she's going to stop and then wake up. This isn't a phase. Like, it's true. (laughs) My mom went away, I think, to go see her parents. And I went and stayed with one of my friends at the time. And she lived in a town 30 minutes away from where I am. And she had a friend there who went to the high school at that local, like, in that town. So I'd never met her before. But she was uh, bisexual. And so her and I, over that weekend, got to know each other. And then when my mum came to pick me up on, like, the Sunday afternoon, I walked out of the house holding this girl's hand that my mum had never met before. (laughs) And I went, this is my girlfriend. And I think that was the moment that my mum went... Oh, she was serious when she said that. (laughs) Like, this is a real thing. Um, Well, it brings me to kind of my final questions because your story is an extremely useful one for a lot of people to hear, whether you're a parent with a young queer person uh, living in your home, whether you are a young queer person and you're questioning whether or not you should speak your truth. I'm really interested. You obviously are able to look back on that time. Um, It's still... uh, quite clear for you. Like you're able to remember these moments with clarity. So I, I think you put it perfectly. There is still some trauma there that you're, you're going to continue to kind of go through as you get older. But when you look back on that time, I'm interested in what you wish would have happened or what you wish some of those bullies understood. Hmm. I think one of the biggest things that always used to get to me when I was younger was the adults in my life Mm. not understanding. I could understand that there were people at my school who grew up in homes that, you know, homophobia was just something they experienced from the adults in their lives. But it was when, you know, staff members at school or, uh, you know, friends' parents and stuff, you know, you are an adult who has the ability to, like, 
do a Google search or have a higher level of empathy and understanding maybe than a 15-year-old does. Yeah. So I think what I wish would have happened is that adults would have taken me seriously. I think a lot of them were just assuming that I was going to drop this after like a year, mm. that it was something I was doing for attention. It was, you know, the entire concept of that vice principal telling me just go back in the closet and that'll fix it, it wouldn't have. Mm. At that point I was already out. People already knew I'd had a girlfriend. Like that feels like such a juvenile answer for an adult to give somebody. Totally. To solve their problems. And I think maybe if the adults in my life who, you know, obviously weren't my parents who were very supportive or, you know, even then my parents took years to kind of understand my label and still, you know, obviously don't know everything about the queer community and I still have to teach them things sometimes. I just wish adults would maybe do their own research. And not put the pressure on the young person to also be the educator. Exactly. You know, especially because me being 15 and having adults ask me, you know, like, well, what does that mean? And you know, how come I've never heard of that before? You know, I've only heard about the word pansexual six months before I've come out. Like, I didn't do a master's on gender and sexual identity, so I don't understand why you're expecting me to know everything. Mm. It's actually Um, a really good piece of advice for anyone at any age, and I think this is kind of where we'll end from a takeaway perspective, which is no matter how old you are, when someone comes to you with a huge piece of news, if they tell you, I have lung cancer, if Mm. they tell you, I am uh, pansexual, if I am transgender, that person is coming to you with a new piece of information. It has taken a lot of courage for them to to tell you that truth, no matter what that answer is, to then expect that they are going to do all of the additional emotional labor of educating you Mm. is a lot to ask. Exactly. And, and, you know, when I found out a family member had cancer, I went home and I just looked up what the hell is lymphomalampic cancer? Like you just start to, you do the research, you, and then you go with questions. Hey, I've done some work. I've looked this up. Here are some additional questions I have. And then I, at least you would have felt that they were coming to empathetically and saying, hey, what's the difference between bisexuality and pansexuality? I'm confused. Yeah, that that's a perfect way to explain it. If a family member comes to you and says that they have a very specific type of cancer, it's pretty rude of you to then sit there and immediately ask them like 50 questions about it because they've only like probably found out recently too. Exactly. And it's the same with coming out. Like I came out and then I pretty rapidly, like six months between figuring it out and like coming out to some people and then six more months is realistically not a very long time for somebody to sit with their own sexuality and then go to tell people about it. So I always felt very frustrated that I was expected to be this encyclopedia yeah, of exactly. knowledge, As, especially like I could understand year seven kids, like a 13-year-old coming and asking me a question. But I also think it, it's a general rule that if you don't understand something, we do have access to the internet and you can use it to your advantage. So there you go. Okay. Final question. There are young queer people all across the world who are in school at various ages who are also struggling, who do have a similar story to you, what do you want to say to them? First of all, I'd like to say it 
so many people will tell you it gets better or it will you'll get over it and you'll get through it and i used to really really resent that advice as a teenager because in the years that it takes to get through high school it feels like a lifetime mm. and i just want to let you know that once you get through that lifetime you'll live about 50 more and they're going to be so much better so much more fun so much less tied to social issues, you know, like who's hanging out with who and who you're allowed to speak to in high school. Once you leave that sort of environment, you do get to thrive truly fully. And don't ever feel pressured to come out younger. Part of me thinks, you know, maybe if I'd waited a couple of years, would I have had more confidence in myself? But I know that the timing was right for me. Mm. So don't ever feel pressured that you need to wait to come out. Don't ever feel pressured that you need to come out earlier than you want to. If you don't even want to come out during high school, you don't have to because realistically the people you go to high school with, uh, you're not really going to spend a lot of time with them in the future. So they don't have to know everything about you. But mm. as somebody who clearly was desperate to tell the world who I am, also I would just say living in your authentic truth is very powerful and you don't have to do that by telling everyone on an assembly. You can start with telling one or two of your friends that you feel very safe coming out to. I think um, my final piece of advice would be try and gauge how safe you are. Mm. I'm very lucky that I knew that I had a supportive and safe home environment to go back to if my school environment became too unsafe. Mm. I also knew that within a school environment, if it becomes too unsafe, I could go to, you know, the school board or I could go to some other authority figure who has control over that. Always prioritise your safety before you prioritise other people knowing everything about you. Mm. You know, they don't have to know everything. You are allowed to choose when and who gets that information. Beautiful. Listen, thank you so much for being open and honest with us. I have to say you're an incredibly impressive young person. You were back then. You are right now. Um, thank you for being brave enough to kind of share your truth. This, this absolutely your story, your truth will have an impact on other people. And I just cannot thank you enough for, for coming and talking to me today. Thank you so much for your kind words and also for inviting me on. I really enjoy talking about being queer um, and my experience because... I think that visibility is one of the most important steps into uh, having everybody accept each other. Come Out Wherever You Are is presented by me, Sean Zepps, and I did everything by myself, all the editing. It's just me alone. There's literally no one. <laughs> just kidding. Our producer is Lindsay Green. The executive producer is Jennifer Goggin. And our audio producer is Darcy Thompson. Listener.